we're going to open a prayer as we look at Genesis chapter 3. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for what you've done and how much you love and care for us. We ask you to guide and lead as we bring this message out about the fall of man. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, we were talking about Adam and Eve standing around the tree of the knowledge of the fruit of the good and evil and Satan coming along and tempting them. And we left, it, we left off two weeks ago with them reaching out and touching the fruit. Not only touching the fruit, but eating the fruit. And then we had a special guest last week. So we're going to continue this week from that, on that story. Genesis 3, starting at verse 7. And the eyes of them were, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And Adam said, The woman whom you gave me she gave it to me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And I want to stop there for just a moment, because that's a lot to go over on here. Adam and Eve lived in innocence. No problems in their life. They had one rule in their entire life, and that was to not eat of one tree. And they disobeyed the one rule they had. And that's where we kind of left off. And the result of that rule is they lost innocency. All of a sudden, they realized that they were naked. And it says their eyes were open. And when we read that in the Hebrew, that word always talks about opened to understand evil. <laughs> it isn't a good thing when it says their eyes were opened. They understood that they had been disobedient. They understood that there were problems around, that there was now a problem around them. And their result was that they went together, they went and found some fig leaves and sewed them up into garments. Now, I don't know exactly how they sewed them up or what they did, but they, they covered themselves with fig leaves. Now, I don't know how many people have ever touched a fig leaf, but it is not a comfortable leaf out of all the leaves to be picking. The other thing about it is when they dry up, fig leaves shrink. <laughs> and get smaller. But ultimately, this goes to show that when we sin, we try to do good works to cover our nakedness before God because of our sin. And Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. When, God, when we try to cover ourselves with the righteousness of God to do a righteousness of ourself to, to satisfy the righteousness of God, it doesn't work. When you witness to people, inevitably you go, well, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? Well, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. I hope my good deeds will get me to heaven. Well, the bad news for you is it won't. Your good deeds are filthy rags. We need the righteousness of Christ. And that's what's going to happen in this story, that God is going to provide for them. But they stand there doing something. Look at all the things we did. We made, these, we made these clothes for ourselves so that we could stand before you, God, because we were naked. There will be millions and millions of people standing at the white throne judgment of God in their righteousness. 
standing before God in filthy rags. And you can just picture it. They're going, God, look how good I am as they look down at themselves and realize that they're covered with rags. And it's not their sin that they're standing before God in. It is their good deeds. And God says, not good enough. Not good enough. You know, we have all kinds of places in this world that if you're not good enough to, you know, you don't have the right look, you don't have the right credentials, you don't get into. Heaven has the ultimate in credentials. You have to be perfect. Now that takes everybody that's human out of that picture unless we accept Jesus Christ and are clothed in his righteousness. And God says, now you are perfect. Man stood originally before God in their own righteousness sewed together fig leaves. And they came before God. And what was the result of sin? First, they sewed these righteous rags together of fig leaves. And then they tried to do what so many of us try to do when we are sinning. We try to hide from God. <laughs> you know, they knew God was coming that night to, to talk to them because that's what he did. In the cool of the evening, God came down and talked to them. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just meet with God personally every night? This was the first picture of Jesus out there, God in the flesh, being able to talk with his, his creation every night. He comes walking around, and they're going, we tried to hide from you. you know, we do the same thing. We try to hide from God. I've seen it over and over, and even done it on myself a couple of occasions. We're, we're living a sinful life, and we decide we're going to try to run away from God. I'm not going to go to his church. I'm not going to go to the Bible studies. I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm going to try to hide from God. Uh, God is omnipresent. means he's everywhere. You can't hide from God. Wherever you're at, he's there. Matter of fact, it says in Psalms that even if I hide myself in the depth of hell, you are there. God says, I am everywhere. You can't hide from me. What happens and the reason that we don't like being around God when we're not following him is because he brings conviction. We get around people that are following God. We get into his word. We get around his people and we get convicted. We don't like conviction if we're not ready to humble our lives. But God is saying, I want you to humble your life and turn to me. That is great peace. I turn to God, I confess my sins in 1 John 1, 9. If, I confess, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. So we go, God, I am sorry, I have sinned. Forgive me. And he forgives us. Why? Because that's who he is. He wants to forgive us. He wants to love us and will love us. And we just have to allow him to love us. Have you been in a place where you've tried to love somebody who didn't want to be loved? You know, uh, you're going, I just want to show you God's love. I just want to show you that I love you and you're being rejected. How many times do we do that to God? He reaches out and says, I just want to love you. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Don't want anything to do with it. We know what it's like in the human being's point of view that to, to reach out and try to love somebody and be rejected. Whether it's an unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving rel relative and you just want them to turn to God and you just want to love them and they reject and reject and reject. How often do we do this to God? We're just hiding. God, I'm hiding. Keep away from me. I don't want anything to do with you because I don't want to be convicted. And this is what Adam and Eve did. They're hiding. Now the good news about this is God gave them all kinds of opportunities to confess. His first one was, where are you? Come on out and tell me what you've done. 
You're not hiding from me anywhere. Did God not know where they were? No, he knew exactly where they were. He was giving them the opportunity to come to him and confess. God's first step with all of us is always to let us come to him. As he says, where are you? What are you going to do? And he says, come. Come to me. Just humble yourself and come to me. Well, they finally came out of hiding, and he said, and they go, and he goes, why, why were you hiding? And he goes, well, we, we were afraid because we are naked. They knew nothing about fear. They had nothing to fear before they rejected God. The animals are all friendly. There's no thorns and thistles to step on, no goat hoods all over the place to walk on. You know, no cacti to stick them. <laughs> and the animals are all friendly. They could play with any animal they wanted to play with without having to worry about it. They had no enemies. And yet they're afraid of God. Because all of a sudden they realized we are not worthy to be in your presence. And God then said, very simply, what have you done? Did you eat of the tree? So this is time number two that they get to confess and say, yes, we did. Please forgive us. But the problem is, Adam's the first one to speak. Now, Adam did not do his job as the husband to protect Eve while she was listening to the snake. And it says she gave it to her husband who was with her. So he was right there not protecting her. Now this time he's going to be the first one to speak. And he tells God, the woman that you gave me gave me the fruit and I ate it. Very interesting comment when you start taking it, taking it apart. You know, God, uh, it's all your fault. You gave her to me, number one. If you hadn't given her to me, I wouldn't have listened to her and taken and eaten this fruit. So Adam is pointing both directions. He is saying, God, it's your fault and it's the woman's fault. It's not my fault. How many times do we do that to God so, so, so many times? God, it's just not my fault. It is not my fault that I sinned. It is not my fault that I did wrong. If it wasn't for these circumstances that you put in my path, I wouldn't have sinned. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for these people you put around me, I wouldn't have sinned. That's Adam's excuse. God, it's all your fault and by the way, or their fault, but don't blame me. We all tend to do that kind of ex explanation a lot. God, it's all the people around me, and you know, God, if you could have kept them away from me, and I know you could have, but, you know, so really, God, it's your fault. We need to be careful about that kind of comment because it's really not God's fault. He gives us the opportunity to be obedient or disobedient, and if we're listening to the wrong voices, we're going to be disobedient. This is why it's important that we be very careful about who we have in our life to be our friends and our confidants. And I want to tell you, even in the church, make sure you're looking at the right people that are going to give you godly advice because there are a lot of people in the church that aren't going to give you godly advice and are going to give you bad advice. It's not going to be biblical advice. They're going to give you the world's advice. We want to live in the truth of the word of God, not in the world's advice. But this is, this is Adam's defense. God, it's all your fault. And oh, God, it's your fault because you gave her to me. You thought I needed somebody else, and she's the one that took me down the wrong path. This did not get Adam off the hook, as we're going to see you know, as we go deeper in this. So then he turns to Eve and says what went on. 
And she's, she will not admit that it's her fault. She goes, it was a serpent. Uh, still not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. How many times do we spend with God blaming others? God, if it was just not for others, I wouldn't have sinned. And in one sense, that's true. If I pick the wrong, the wrong friends and the wrong, wrong people to hang out with, they, they're going to lead me down the wrong path, but it's still my fault. I picked them in the first place. I picked them to be my confidence. I picked them to be the ones I listen to. This is why it's important to have godly friends around you. When you're ready to do something wrong, you need a friend who's going to tell you that it's wrong. This is what the 12-step programs are all about. You get this person who's in your life that when you're going to have trouble, you call them and they go, don't be so stupid. Now, hopefully they say it nicer than that, but really, isn't that what you're saying to them? Don't be stupid and do something wrong. You know? And this is where we need to be. We need those people that speak truth into our life. We need to know enough of God's word to know that we need to be obedient and know that we're getting ready to do wrong. Because sometimes we do things wrong out of ignorance. We just didn't know it was wrong. Been there plenty of times where I get grown up a little more with God and God shows me, see, you're not supposed to do this. And I go, gee, my goodness, I've been doing that for, for decades now. And God says, well, don't do it anymore. Don't do it anymore because now you know better. There are certain things we all know that are wrong. We know that it's wrong to lie. We know it's wrong to steal. We know it's wrong to, to put somebody up before God, even though we do it frequently. We know there are certain things that are wrong. And there are some things that are in that little gray area that God says, I'm going to teach you that it's wrong as you grow. As you grow. There are things that, for those of us who have been walking with God for decades, we can't do that other people can do because we've, just, we've been growing with God. And God says, nope, you can't do this. I was talking to one of the guys at the, at the, uh, one of the staff at the prison, and he was telling me how his wife is telling him that she, has, she feels bad when she thinks about doing something mean to somebody. And he's thinking, you know, I'm just thinking it was good that I didn't hit them. <laughs> but, you know, it shows the difference. Because I'm more along his wife's line, line. I feel bad when I think about saying something mean to somebody. Not that I was struggling with saying the words, but just if it pops into my mind to say something, I feel bad. Should everybody be there? Well, probably eventually, but not right away. When you're first saved, you're not going to be in that spot. You're going to be learning what God wants you to do. And here, Adam and Eve have their third chance to confess. <laughs> All right. Where are you? What have you done? And so then they go into their own personal excuses. You know, their own personal excuses. Do you see the mercy of God in all of this? The moment they ate of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, they died spiritually. And they started dying physically. They weren't going to die physically for almost over 900 years. But God says they started dying physically, but they died spiritually. And all their children from that point on are born dead. When we are born without Christ, we are born spiritually dead. And God says we need to be born again. That was what Jesus told Nicodemus in the, in the garden that night. You must be born again. 
We are told in Corinthians that we, when we get saved, we are a new creation. All things have become new. Why? Because God gives us life. And for those of you who are saved, and hopefully most people in here are saved, you know what it means to be born again. You know what it means to have that life. And you accepted Jesus Christ and you became alive. It was the greatest experience that you can ever have. To be able to go to God and say, God, I'm a sinner and I deserve punishment. Thank you for dying on the cross. Come in to live. And he comes in and lives in you and you are alive. The pressure of sin is taken off of you. You are a new creation and you are alive and you have a lightness in your step. And you realize that God has come in me. How old did that happen? I've heard of people saying they got saved when they were four years old. And having met them, I know that they are truly saved. I was 10 years old when God came into my life and changed me. And changed me drastically. There were great changes in my life. I became a new creation at 10 years old. Others get saved much later in life. But there needs to be that point in time where you can say, God, I asked you to come into my life and you are now my savior. We talk about this, there's going to be two surprises for us when we get to heaven. That's who's there and who's not there. Who's there because we're going to be going, you got in? How'd you get in here? By God's grace. <laughs> because of the grace of God, which is how all of us get there. And then we're going to be looking around for those people who were in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Bible study time, looked good, but never accepted Jesus into their heart. And we're going to be looking around for them and we're going to go, where are they? They're in hell because they never accepted Christ. Jesus came to this world to die for our sins because he is the only way to heaven. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It is recognizing that we are sinners that don't have what it takes to get to heaven. And we ask him to forgive us because he paid the price. This is the valuable thing. There is no other way. Why? Because of Adam and Eve's sin. They condemned all of humanity to being born dead spiritually. And without Christ, without God, we cannot come to, to him and be in his presence. This is the important thing. And this is, I'm, right now I'm looking at this. Their excuses. Our excuses. I've heard many people blame God. It's a pretty amazing thing. I've heard people blame God who tell me they don't believe in God. And they'll go, it's God's fault. I'm going, I thought you didn't believe him. I don't. Well, how can you be blaming a God that doesn't exist? Other people just blame God for everything that happens in their life. And what God is doing is giving us a chance to trust him. He says, here's your, here's your trial. Are you going to trust me? God tells us in Corinthians that there hath no temptation overtaken us, but such that is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. What's important in that? First off, there's nothing uncommon. It is so amazing to me when I talk to people and they feel like they're the only one that's going through that trial. And the thing about that is if they would just open up and tell other people that they're going through the problem, they're going to find out that there are people all around them that they know 
that are going through the problem. It's, it's kind of funny that people will get through the problem and they'll get through it successfully after, after years and then they start giving their testimony and everybody will say, oh, and thank you for saying I thought I was the only one that had that problem. You know, how many of us have problems with temper? You know, how many of us have problems with lustful thoughts? How many of us have problems with laziness? You know, all of these things that are out there and God says these are problems and they are not uncommon problems. Everybody has these things. They're not everybody, but lots of people have these same temptations. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Crazy governments are not new. You go through history and crazy governments are all through history. Governments racking up debt are not brand new. They've been all over history usually right before they fall. Governments that allow sin to be rampant through their, through their nation are not new. It happens before they fall. Where is America right now? Historically, we're at the end, end of our, our rule, the end of being a nation. Can God re save it? Yes, he can have a great revival and we can be saved. We need to start praying for a revival, which we've been doing for a while now. Will God give the revival? I don't know. We're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray that people get saved. We're going to pray that a revival starts in our, in our presence, in our families, in our neighborhoods. And then maybe it'll sweep the nation. That's the only hope for our nation where it's at. Historically, we're on the cusp of falling apart. We need to be praying. We need to be looking to God for his help. We need to be looking for his help in our own lives in our families' lives, in those that we know. And quit blaming others. When you stand at the white throne judgment, you're not going to be able to blame others and get away with it. Just as in court, when you start blaming others, you're going to have the book thrown at you. I'm amazed down at the prison how many of those prisoners have done nothing wrong. Almost every one of them say, I have done nothing wrong. And... And I don't get into it with them because I know that that's not true, and they know it too. But you know, the more we say, God, I have done nothing wrong, I don't deserve punishment, I don't deserve hell, the hope for us is zero. We're going to stand at the white throne judgment, and he's going to say, you rejected me, you're in hell. So for us, quit. I'm going to challenge us, quit making excuses. If you're not saved... Quit making excuses to be and get saved. If you're one of his children, quit making excuses for your sins and, and get confession and get right with God. Because either way, we want God. If we're lost, we need God. There's no hope without him. We want heaven. We need him. If we're walking in our sins, we need to confess them and say, God, I need your strength to get through this. And we need him. We're going to close here in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help each of us to stop making excuses and to live for you. Lord, if anybody doesn't know you, we ask that today, today they will ask you into their heart. They will go to you and say just a simple prayer. God, I am a sinner. I deserve that punishment. Thank you that you died for me. Come and make me a new creation and help me live. For those of us that are Christians, I just ask you to also pray for God. God, help me to quit making excuses for my sins. 
Help me to turn them over to you and live in victory. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.